for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. And today, I've got an awesome guest on, Clint Casper from Ohio, and we are diving into how to get after virtually an unkillable buck in October. All right, welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and today is episode 128. And I can't believe it's taken me this long to get this guy on the podcast, but uh, hey, we say it in here, but better late than never. But Clint Casper is joining us today. Um, and I'll tell you, this guy is just an elite outdoorsman slash hunter. He just knows what to do and gets on good deer every year, kills good deer every year. He's just, and he's a solid dude. I mean, just a good human. And uh, Clint comes on, we talk, we bullshit for a long time. We could have we could still be bullshitting right now as you guys are listening to this. It's just, he's one of those dudes, just a good, solid guy. You can BS with him and just talk hunting on a high level all day. So uh, that's what it is today. Um, Justin is actually co-host Justin. He is in the mountains still in Colorado hunting right now with an elk. Have not heard from him in a while. I do know he's alive, so that's good, but we will be having him on here shortly next couple weeks hopefully uh, once he starts winding down a little bit but we are getting closer and closer to whitetail season and I'm excited just like I was last week I'm just even more excited my bow is dialed in ready to go my stands are hung the cameras are fermenting right now and hopefully collecting all the data Um, you know I went out and with a couple buddies a couple weeks ago and we were doing like a speed tour and trying to figure out, uh, trying to figure out how to get on a buck that we've been 
getting pretty regular on camera. I think we got a pretty good game plan on that. Um, as we're as we're leaving our property, there is the other hitless buck, uh, the big ten with a possible may or may not have a drop time, <laughs> is out in the field feeding with four other bucks out of velvet um, in a hayfield at 6:30 in the afternoon. Crazy. Uh, I got good footage of him, so you guys will be able to see that surface here sometime soon. Um, <laughs> I'm just excited to get after it and get out there. But this conversation with Clint is a really good one. Um, I'm excited to have him on. So without further ado, here is the interview with Clint Casper. All right, welcome back to the Fall Podcast. And today I've got a guest on that uh, I've watched from afar from a long time and been wanting to get him on. Finally, I don't know how it took me 120 seven episodes or something like that to get you on but clint casper welcome <laughs> to the podcast man and thanks for joining me hey my man really pumped to be on yeah i'm not sure how it's taking us so long to get hooked up <laughs> but i guess uh i guess what they you know the old uh, the old adage is uh better late than never to the party right uh, definitely and i i don't think there's a better time than the present so uh, i i say we get this thing going i've got some uh Probably not high-end questions on your end because you're just you're you're an elite elite guy, elite hunter when it comes to whitetails, and I'm like ready to pick your brain. I can tell you that. <laughs> Man, I can tell. I can tell. I got you fooled. <laughs> no, I'm <just> <laughs> no, I'm. I appreciate the kind words, my man. Looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. So before we do get too started in here, uh, you know, before. I I don't know if a lot of people have heard from you. I mean, you're on working class bow hunter a lot, and that's kind of, you know, for the last couple of years where I've heard you from. You're good friends with those guys. I love those guys. Good dudes to to bullshit with. But before we get too far, I mean, kind of explain to everybody listening out there who the heck you are and and where you come from. Yeah, my man, absolutely. Yeah, um, definitely, uh, definitely deeply rooted with uh, with Kurt and. And Eric and all the guys over there, working class bow hunter, um, you know, been been doing a lot of podcasts and, and and blogs and different things, and a lot of just you know just kind of sharing sharing content and sharing fun with those guys for a long time. Whether it's you know drinking beer at the ATA or podcasting or you know just just really good you know lifelong buddies with with all those guys now. Uh, shared that Wyoming camp together this year with, with Kurt and whatnot. And that was kind of our first, you know, hunt together or whatnot. And that was, that was a total blast. But, uh, yeah, no, just, a um, born and raised Ohio guy, um, come from a third generation, you know, dairy farm family, um, grew up playing football and sports and, you know, chasing squirrels and chipmunks around with the pellet gun as a young kid. And, and that kind of <laughs> morphed into, uh, kind of morphed in you know to a love for the outdoors um really really took in a liking to bow hunting probably around like nine or ten my you know my dad being a dairy farmer was not a bow hunter um introduced me to the outdoors you know as far as just that style goes uh, and, and bow hunting i kind of got into just from you know some family friends and different things but really took a huge liking to that and it's just kind of grown and, and and morphed its way into this um yeah, this, I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it went from like a, a hobby as a younger kid and then, and then really, really grew into like a major passion, actually quit playing basketball. Um, so I could hunt all fall, you know, played football and the minute football was over, man, it was time to freaking grab a bow and get going. And it's kind of went from that to basically a lifestyle. I mean, I've just kind of tailor fit my life, you know, to be able to, to, 
chased my dreams with a bow in hand and uh, i got i got two little boys um my oldest is easton he's four and keaton will be two in january he's my youngest and yeah i mean so it's kind of like you know right now the phase i'm in is is watching those guys get you know really interested and it's going to be a lot of fun to see um see them be able to kind of grow into that mold and grow into that lifestyle and and kind of instill you know what my dad instilled in me years ago um with just love for the outdoors and whatnot but as far as the the industry goes um right full time for peterson's bow hunting and just started writing um full time for go hunt so do a lot of articles a lot of blogs um, a lot of online social media stuff uh, in print on the websites etc um for the guys over there at, at peterson's bow hunting and go hunt and, and absolutely love that always have wanted to be a writer um been reading hunting magazines and looking at them and and making my dad you know take me to the gas station to get them since as long as i can remember and always said i was going to be in them and, and wanted to open one up and see myself and my stories in there so that's kind of been a lifelong dream that now i'm living out so yeah man i mean i you know can't can't complain on my end just you know totally blessed with with the life i'm living right now and being able to kind of do something i've always wanted to do and um you know definitely uh definitely something that's deeply rooted for myself and something kind of i've always dreamed about so yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a little quick uh little quick rundown i guess on uh on my end i like it all man except one thing i, I gotta ask so you're a football fan you're from ohio so that means you're a buckeye fan probably right <sighs> nope no. I'm a boomer sooner. I'm a boomer sooner. Okay. I'm an Oklahoma. I'm an Oklahoma sooner fan through and through. Um, I don't typically root against the Buckeyes unless Oklahoma's playing them, which has only happened a few times in like the last, you know, like 50 years. Um, now, as far as the team up north, I gotta say, <laughs> I, I am. I am a Buckeye fan in that essence. So I mean, that 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 is one thing that you know we we probably can uh, you know, but buttheads like two bighorns uh, against one another on but uh it's, it's all good fun though okay I, I i love uh i love watching the game and um it's always fun to see two teams that are that are so you know respectful of each other but yet deeply rooted in, in hatred as well go at it yep. I, I i always love a i always love a uh a, a good rivalry in football and that's that you know that's probably one of the best if not the best i can think of on any level so i agree man and you know i i guess i won't take everything back good i said about you because i mean you are half a buckeye fan so that's okay i guess <laughs> but uh yeah i'm you know maize and blue all the way i mean i yep. i honestly there's i'm probably gonna lose a lot of of listenership from this but i probably there's a good chance that i don't you know, I, I might like Ohio State just a touch more than Michigan State. Um, that's yep. how hardcore it is. Like, it just, yep. you know, growing up in my family, it was like either like, you know, Michigan or Michigan State. And, you know, we were all maize and blue. And so, I mean, Michigan State is, uh, it is what it is. I've got a lot of friends that are state fans and I've got friends that are Michigan fans and I, I don't hold it against them too much. But when it comes to Ohio State, though, I, you know, They've had Michigan's number the last I don't know probably decade or or, or two yeah. decades maybe, but uh, it's all right. You know, it's all good. It, their time's coming here. You know, Michigan will have it for another decade once they get the ball rolling a little bit. So <laughs> we'll see. Yep. No, that's how it is too, and it's it's fun to watch. You know, it, it's it's fun to watch that game because you honestly never know. You don't. I mean, you can does it regardless the records. You know. Yep. 
Yep, you can throw records out the window, and I mean, it's just, you know, it, it comes down to on that day who wants it more and, and who's got the deeper heart, and it's, yeah, it's fun to, it's always fun to watch a really good rivalry, especially in college football, and, and that's that's definitely the best there is, if not, you know, like, like I said, like I said, it's one of the best, if not the best that there is, so. Yep. No, no I doubt. agree. Yeah. So you were talking about, let's transition a little bit to Whitetail here. I mean, I, I would talk sports all day as well. But <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> uh, talk a little Whitetail. I want to brush on a little bit of Peterson's bow hunting. So you've been re- writing for them for a long time, and one of my favorite magazines, you know, growing up reading and every. Well, let's be honest. I don't read. I look at pictures. So. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's, you know, just that compelling story that I just have to read. But um, that's got to be a pretty cool gig there for Peterson's and you said go hunt as well so I mean how'd you get into writing for Peterson's so when I was in college I actually kind of really started to take it serious um I actually wrote an article I had to write a for an elective class I had to write um had to write a how to 2500 word like essay and didn't really know what to write about, so I wrote um, this how-to essay on how to bow hunt white-tailed deer, and started with a you know very basic plan from someone who's never bow hunted. Um, talked about you know just kind of going through the season you know real brief from month to month and kind of what my strategy would be. And my professor, she is not a hunter, and read it and she pulled me aside after class after we turned it in like four days prior and I kind of forgot about it. I'm thinking, ah, oh, you know, I wonder what she wants. And she's like, you know, I've never ever been compelled or had a want to hunt anything. She's like, I read this and she's like, I still don't know if I'd want to hunt, but she's like, I, I feel like I would like to go and experience it. Because if it's half as cool as what you make it sound, she goes, I really think I'd enjoy myself. And she's like, I really think you need to do something with this. And I'm like, well, no, like I do do something. You know, I'm like, I'm like, I hunt like that's all I do, you know. And right. she's like, no, no, no. She's like, you need to like figure out a way to make some money doing this. She's like, you know, she's like some people can write. Some people can. She's like, you, you, you can, you know, she's like, you've, you've got it. And I didn't really think much about it because I'm just like, you know, yeah, all right. You know, I've been reading Hunting Magazine. I, mean, I, I grew up reading Steve Bartella and Greg Miller and Eddie Claypool and, you know, all these guys. And I'm just like, you know, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, I, I'm. They're elite. You're thinking like those yeah, guys, oh, yeah. like you idolize those guys, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I'm just like, okay, you know. So, you know, the, the, the Chuck Adams of the world and, and, and those guys, you know, and Cam Haynes and whatnot. And so kind of from that point, I started throwing it around a little bit and I'm just like, you know, like at that time I, I was doing some filming, um, with a bunch of local guys and they were putting out a DVD every year. Um, ADP aerodynamic productions is what it was stood for. And about every year they put out like a two hour DVD and, you know, 2025 20, hunts. And I mean, you know, everything from groundhogs to turkeys to, you know, nice white tails. I mean, you know, just filming everything. And I really liked that. But what I didn't like about that was you kind of had to rely on somebody. And everything was kind of not that I don't like the team thing, but it, you know, it was, it was, 
the whole deal is is very much relied upon somebody else and having all these hands kind of in the cookie jar mentality. And for me, I've always kind of been the guy that just, you know, I mean, I, I'm kind of, I mean, I, I, I love people and have a lot of friends and whatnot, but when it comes to hunting, I've always kind of been kind of a, I guess you could say like a, you know, a lone wolf type of guy. I mean, I, I just kind of like to do my own thing and I hate having to rely on people or rely on someone else to kind of get the cart or the wagon rolling, you know, like once I get something going, I just kind of like to keep it going and, right. and, and what I put into it is what I'm going to get out of it yep. type of thing. So I really, really started looking into this writing gig and I'm just like, you know, I've always kind of joked and dreamed about it. I mean, my mom and dad tell stories of all the time about me being five, six years old, looking at pictures at the dinner table and fur fishing game and bow hunter and different magazines, North American whitetail and, Peterson's bow hunting and always saying, you know, someday you're going to open this up and I'm going to be in there, you know, whatnot. And I kind of started thinking about that really hard. I'm just like, man, you know, that that's kind of a, a gig where you take your own photos, you write your own articles, like what you get out of it's what you put in it. And it's kind of a sink or swim thing. And I'm just like, you know, I think I really would like that. So I started to reach out to like some local, like, you know, Ohio game and fish and just like some local stuff online, some local stuff, you know, the online things just starting to get big, some blog work started kind of reaching out to some of these smaller avenues and started doing some writing for them. Uh, some how to stuff, some, you know, some tips and technique stuff. Um, I hadn't really dove into Western hunting a, a whole lot yet, but was just starting to kind of really get into that. Was doing some a lot of public land stuff, Kentucky and Illinois, and was finding some pretty good success with whitetails there in Ohio and and, and turkeys kind of all over the place. And so I was starting to kind of dabble in enough to where I thought I, I could, you know, maybe possibly kind of be intriguing to a magazine somewhere down the road. Um, but wanted to kind of start small and build my way up. And Peterson's was kind of always circled on my radar but like i said you're you're talking about you know levi morgan um john dudley eddie claypool i mean you know you're you're in there adam hayes i mean that magazine was full of what i consider you know the 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 bad boys the top tier guys yeah yep so but i thought you know what all i can do is start sending stuff in so i would track down these editors i would i would you know, on the inside page or two of every one of these magazines, they have all their editorial list as far as where they're located, the number for subscriptions, who the main editor is. Um, if you want to send in an inquiry about doing some writing for them, an email address. So I started really honing in on those and I just started writing and just started emailing <laughs> and just started sending. And I mean, it's pretty ridiculous, honestly. I, sometimes I feel like these guys literally were just like, "Okay, we have to give just this give guy him a, a gig," shot <laughs> because he literally just will not quit and will not stop. And I mean, my philosophy was almost to the point of just like be as relentless slash annoying as I possibly can be to the point where they finally give me a chance. So in 2016, I killed my biggest buck to date, which is my first gross booner extra shot him on opening night of 2016 season he went 191 wow and i thought if i can kill this buck you know i don't think they can turn me down again 
um, just based off because it's such a big deer. It's opening night. It's, it's two years of history. You know, it's a, it's a hell of a story, a hell of a deer. If I can kill this buck, this is going to open some doors for me. And, um, at that point I had done a few podcasts with, you know, working class bow hunter, but hadn't podcast with anybody else yet. So, it, you know, I was very, very, very fresh. Everybody kind of always makes the joke that I'm the podcast whore just because I'm on, <laughs> you know, I've been blessed to been asked to be, I don't know why people like to hear me talk or why they want to hear me talk, but I've been blessed to have a lot of people ask me to be on podcasts and I've got the opportunity to do a lot of podcasts. So, but at this point, you know, that hadn't even really opened a huge door yet for me or anything like, so I kill this buck and um, I've got to be really good friends with Levi Morgan over the years. Um, I shot indoors professionally for a few years, had my pro card shooting five spot in Vegas and, and got to know him and Sam really well. And they don't, they actually don't live that far from me. I shoot this buck and he had, he knew about the buck. We had talked about him all spring and summer and traded pictures. And as soon as I killed this deer, he's like, I'm going to get a hold of Christian Berg, who's the head editor at Peterson's bow hunting. And he's like, you've probably already emailed him, but he's like, he's going to want this. And I'm like, really? And he's like, Oh yeah. So about two days later, I get this email and it's from Christian and he's like, Hey, you know, talk to Levi, blah, blah, man, would love to catch up one night on the phone. So flash forward like a day or two, we're on the phone for like three hours talking about this buck. <laughs> and, you know, he's just so intrigued about the whole story, you know, and whatnot. So my very first big, you know, five page in print spread article is, um, it's called a buck named extra. And it's all about, you know, this buck that I kill and during the 2016 season on opening night of Ohio's bow season. So that was my very first, um, I guess you could say big leagues deal. And that sparked what is now an absolute great friendship between me and Christian. I mean, we're, we work together and he's, what I always call quote unquote my boss, but we are best friends first, you know, me, him and his son, Timmy, um, his youngest son, Timmy, we, we have, a, we have a really special bond. We, 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 he comes out in Turkey hunts every year in youth season. They come out and deer hunt with me every year in October. You know, I mean, we've just got to be, we talk a few times a week, you know, all throughout the year. I mean, just super good friends. And then, you know, now, like I said, I, I write full time for them and, um, Every Thursday on on their Instagram page is uh, what Christian calls Clint Casper Day. I take over the page and, and make a post and kind of talk about what's going on that week and in my life as far as bow hunting relations go and whatnot. And um, do a lot of podcasts with Christian over there at Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio and stuff. So so yeah, so killing that one buck kind of kind of opened the 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 floodgates. And then from there it was Peterson's bow hunting and then did a ton of writing for. Um, Deer and deer hunting, um, bow hunter, uh, North American whitetail, Eastman's uh, bow hunting journal, um, you know, and, and just kind of kind of opened up the floodgates. And then that led to Peterson's basically being like, hey, man, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd really like for you to pretty much write for us full time and, and, and run pretty much everything through us. And then I still do still did some freelance stuff. Um, but, you know, now pretty much it's it's go go hunt um, full time and Peterson's bow hunting full time. And I really don't have time to do much more freelance stuff. So it's pretty much just those two guys. So. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's kind of funny. You know, it, it all it all started with one arrow and one buck. And, um, you know, at the time I was like 25 with a bunch of a bunch of big dreams and 
I had been shut down probably 30 or 40 times. And, you know, it's the, the writing industry is kind of funny. You know, there's so many guys that are older that's still doing it that it's hard to kind of break in. But once you get an opportunity and kind of get in and get to prove yourself, it's like, you know, if you if they sense that it's something you're really passionate about and, and they really feel like, yeah, man, this, you know, I, I think this guy's, you know, he's doing it for the right reasons type of thing. Um, they, they tend to want to keep you, you know, it's, it's a very different feel from like right now, everybody wants to video hunts, which is cool, but you know, that's kind of the craze. Everybody yep. wants to video. Everybody wants to be on TV. I think a lot of guys have sort of lost that desire to write, put things on paper, you know, and actually, go through that avenue so you know it's it's nice to see that there are some guys my age and even younger that's still doing it and have kind of taken i guess the place of some of the guys that have been doing it for 30 40 years so yeah i was lucky to get a foot in the foot in the door and um got my opportunity i guess you could say shot my shot and um have have just ran with it you know just just it's been super fun absolutely love it i i wouldn't want to do anything else in the industry to be honest with you it, it's really Chili opened up a lot of doors for me. So between between the podcasting and the writing, it uh, it definitely keeps me um, keeps me very busy. That's that's awesome, man. And you know, it's amazing how stuff like that just snowballs once you know the ball kind of gets rolling, and it's like holy shit, it's been you know six years, five years now, and it's like wow, I'm like right in the thick of things. Where did, where did that time go? And now you're just living living your best life. I love it. Yeah, man. Like I said, I'm I'm absolutely blessed and was super lucky to to have the opportunity, kind of get my foot in the door, and then, you know, I've just tried to make make the most of it and and really just pour kind of my heart and soul into every article I do and and the photos and whatnot. And like I said, I abs- absolutely love it. You know, it's it's kind of one of them deals where you sink or you swim on your own based off of what you want to do and how much you want to put into it, and that that really kind of keeps me keeps me grounded and keeps me on track because i know you know there's a hundred guys behind me lined up you know waiting on their opportunity or waiting on their chance so it's like you know man you just you don't want to let another quarterback enter the game and throw five touchdowns whenever <laughs> you've thrown two interceptions you know to put it into a sports analogy for you yep, definitely <laughs> no i i totally agree that's a good analogy no that's that's good man that's that's really cool and honestly i know you hunt a lot in a lot of different games so i mean what a better guy to be writing for, you know, Peterson's than yourself because you're out there, you know, experiencing it all. You know, elk hunting, mule deer hunting, whitetail hunting, I mean, you name it, turkey hunt, whatever. You know, you're ex- experiencing all that. And that's the guys, you know, those are the guys that I want to hear from and read from or, you know, hear their stories. Like, that's, you know, the, he always. I don't know if you always, but I've heard horror stories in, in the past, you know, like writers, like we've, I've had writers, I've been in camps with them and everything. And, and, you know, they just, they just get put in a, put in a stand in an outfitter, you know, and it's just like, uh, go blow down a deer, which is totally fine. I get that. But then they're talking yeah. about high level, like, you know, things that they probably might not be, you know, shouldn't probably be talking about high level things, you know, as if that makes sense, not saying I'm an expert because yep. I'm not at all by any means. Um, but no, I totally, I love that you have a ton of experience under your belt and, and you know, the, I guess you could say the clout, you, you have the clout to, to talk about that stuff. No, I, I really appreciate that, man. That, that means a lot coming from you, but yeah, I mean, that's that, 
that's kind of been my philosophy is just, you know, I want to be a guy that, that can kind of, I guess, be well-rounded. I mean, I absolutely love any type of bow hunting and I've gotten into the Western hunting basically to extend my season, um, make it go longer, start earlier type of thing. And I've absolutely fallen in love with every aspect of Western hunting, whether it's antelope, you know, in Montana or chasing high country mule deer in Colorado or, you know, about the, I leave this here, it's today's Monday. I leave in three days to go chase solo. I uh, go chase elk solo in Utah for eight days or, you know, whatever. I mean, just, just absolutely have, have fallen in love with, with the public land, um, glass and spot and stock style of adventure bow hunting and then grew up cutting my teeth with white tails and turkeys and whatnot. So, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of went hand in hand. It's really worked out well because it's like, you know, I get to kind of hunt things like whitetails and turkeys that are kind of my roots. And then I've branched out and I've just kind of dove head first into Western hunting, which I, I knew very little about and, and still am, am quite green on, but I've just kind of learned by doing it. A lot of my out West hunts are solo and I've just kind of learned, just kind of learned as I've went and, and I've, you know, in plain words, I mean, I've, I've taken an ass kicking a lot out there um throughout the years but it's been fun to kind of build off every year and learn and 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 i've i've you know i've been fortunate to find a lot of success over the last few years western hunting um but yeah i mean i can i can definitely see kind of what you mean though as far as a guy that is out there really doing it and trying to figure it out versus the guy that you know realistically is just okay go to this area go hunt or okay, go over here. There's going to be antelope, go find one and pick one out and shoot one and and whatnot. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it is cool in my opinion to be able to write about what I do and kind of what I've learned on my own, um, basically from the hardships and kind of, I guess, you know, I've learned most of my successes from, you know, like I said, in plain words, getting my ass handed to me. And that's yep. been the biggest learning curve is, is falling flat on my face and then figuring out how to get back up and, and, and do better or build off of what I've failed at. And yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, I think it's the funnest way to do it. And, and I think it's, um, it's the most organic as far as from the writing standpoint, you know, I can, I can kind of talk about everything from the lowest to lows to the highest to highs and everything in between because I've been there, done that, but I wouldn't change, you know, any of that because it's been a heck of a ride and it's always fun to uh, look back on those times where you've got mule kicked in the teeth for nine days (laughs) on a mule deer hunt and, and you're like, yep, that was definitely a learning experience, but it's fun to go back and write about that stuff because I mean, you know, there's a lot of emotion in that. Um, those types of articles because, you know, I was there, I lived it. I mean, yep. I know what it's, I know what it's like to be lonely on the side of a mountain for nine days and struggle to find bucks or bulls or whatever. And then finally one day you do get that opportunity to bend the limbs back and get one killed. And it's just like, man, I mean, it's just, it's like nothing you've ever experienced, ever experienced when you're that guy by yourself, that's grinding and grinding and grinding. And finally you get your chance. You know, I, I wouldn't trade that kind of stuff for anything. And it's definitely super fun to write about because, um, you know, there's just so much emotion that gets poured into that whenever you're trying to think about it and put it on paper again. So yeah, no doubt. I, like I said, I really appreciate the kind words, um, as far as, you know, what you had to say about, uh, yeah. about the experience and stuff. Yeah. That, you know, in that grueling, that grueling time too, it's like, you know, I've, I've been in Saskatchewan, we were on a drop trip and it was, you know, 30 days. We knew we were going to be in there for 30 days moose hunting yep. and, you know, and it, it, you don't see an animal for, 
you know, day 18 is the day we finally saw moose, you know? Yep. So you go 18 days without seeing anything. And all we're doing is trying to catch fish to eat. And it's like, man, it, it takes a toll on you. Day 18, oh, it yeah. happens. I mean, it was like D-Day when we came off the boat. I mean, he was in the water. We, you know, got up uh, around him, got off the boat, kind of had to do a Rochambeau, but it was like, man, like, you know, it happened fast. I mean, within a minute, yep. we saw the moose, and, I mean, within another minute, it was like he was dead, and it was like, holy shit, what just happened? Like, the roller coaster of emotions, you know, even in a whitetail, that's what I love about whitetail so much is, like, the ups and downs, the day-to-days, it changes so fast. Um, yep. I mean, you could be... You know, my, my my Iowa hunt last year was the six best days of hunting I've ever experienced in my life. But it was like I had three bucks that were bigger than 150 within bow range and couldn't get drawn on them. Or one picks oh, me man. off, you know, yep. one picked me off and I'm like, damn it. Like, you know, and it's just one of those things. It's like, you know, you got to stay on top of your game because you never know when it's going to happen. And yep. it's just the, that roller coaster ride is just, oh, I, I love it. I'm getting jacked up right now thinking about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, man, I totally, <laughs> I totally get it. Yeah, that's uh, the uh, the roller coaster ride of emotions on, on hunts and on, on a grind, especially like that. That's, um, yeah, until you're actually in that moment and get to experience that, it's hard to even put into words or, or understand what that's even like in, until you've put in that time and, and that work and then, you finally get that opportunity or you see that opportunity coming um, into realization where you're like, holy shit, th- this is really going to happen. Yep. I mean, yeah, yeah there's, there, there's, there's nothing like it. Yeah, for sure. So I guess like the transition a little bit, I, I want to talk about this buck that you killed two years ago in line. You call him in line, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So this buck intrigues me. I mean, not only is he just an absolute slob monster. I mean, he's just a brick house of a deer. Um, I, I want to talk about how we're, you know, we're in September right now. We're coming up on a lot of people's openers, you know, October 1st. And, and yep. I want to talk about some October hunting. So now, you know, I've listened to a, a lot of podcasts you were on and, and read a lot of stuff that you're doing. And, and one thing that stood out to me was you made a quote that you said that buck teach you more or taught you, teach you, can't even talk, taught you more about how mature deer you know, mature bucks move in October. Um, I want to know more about that. I guess to start off, you know, maybe do a little background on the deer just to kind of, you know, give people up to speed on that. And then, you know, kind of talk about how that experience happened through October and, you know, the whole story there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, So in line was a uh, six and a half year old buck. He was on a new farm um picked that piece of property up that spring um and got pictures of him in it would have been like mid-june pretty distinct buck um had all the inline points you know just a a big mainframe you know five by five but had nine extra points ended up breaking five off or sorry broke four off he had 15 scoreable and i killed him but he had nine to start um, but just a bunch of inline sticker points and a bunch of inline times and, um, just big, you know, big, big, heavy frame, uh, super big body, you know, just a very distinguished buck to where when, you know, you'd be flipping through pictures and it's like, boom, there he was. And I mean, there was no mistake about it. Like when he showed up, you know, as you were scrolling through pictures, I mean, it was an immediate, Oh shoot, there he is. So he got the name in line just cause of all those inline points. And 
I uh, figured out really quick on that farm. He definitely called it home, but he was not a, he was, he, he just, the closer it got to season, the less and less daylight photos I was getting. Um, everything was after dark. Didn't matter how deep in the timber cameras were. Didn't, you know, it just didn't matter. I mean, the deer just literally did not really move much in daylight on that piece of property in October. And I really wanted to kill him in October because I felt like that was my best chance. Had a feeling just based off his personality, he was probably going to be one of those loner bucks that probably did a lot of roaming. Um, never really bachelored up with a bunch of bucks in the summer. He never really was with a lot of deer. He was just kind of a loner. And I really wanted to figure out his core area and try to kill him before the rut took him away from that farm um so that was kind of my philosophy going into it our season opens the last saturday of september so i was really eager to try to get on him early uh in october that year a whole month i think i had five or six cameras running over there on that piece of property and it's about 210 220 acres total farm country you know a lot of funnels and bottlenecks and creek bottoms and, and broken up farm country that ends up joining into some really big wood lots um and then those big wood lots turn into even bigger wood lots on the on the neighboring side so had a really good mixture of you know kind of farm country plus big woods around me to hunt but like i said he was just one of those bucks that i just could not for the life of me figure out exactly where he was living at in October, where that core area was. Everything was after dark. Um, I did figure out that, you know, on a, you know, it, it was more or less a south and an east wind. That deer really seemed to move closest to daylight on those winds. So I did figure that out. Did that um, kind of tell you more where he was betting from or betting at, like kind of give you a little yeah. more more pieces to the puzzle yeah i mean i pretty much pinpointed down where i thought he was betting um from that wind direction and it, it and it all made sense i mean he was using that wind to his you know his advantage as far as moving around on that farm and going to and from egg fields especially to and from the bean and corn fields that we had planted on that farm he was definitely using that wind to be able to run some of these funnels and run some of these crick bottoms and scent check everything before he ever got there. So that made total sense, and that made sense as to where he was probably betting. So I kept going in deeper and deeper with cameras and really trying to, like, you know, I just I needed to get something in daylight to really give me the confidence to go in super deep after him because I didn't want to blow him out, obviously. And, you know, I do not personally believe in the October law. Um, I know a lot of guys talk about it. A lot of guys write about it. A lot of guys believe about it. Just being totally black and white. I think it's bullshit. I don't, um, you know, for lack of a better term, I just, I don't believe in it. Um, to put it in a sports reference, your Super Bowl in the whitetail woods is November. All these bucks are preparing and, and getting ready for the rut. So if you got a Super Bowl coming up in a month, you're not just going to quit practicing, quit working out, quit training and just say, oh, well, I'm just going to sit around and do nothing. And all of a sudden you're going to pop into the game and go play the Super Bowl. And I look at October like that. You got the most food available. You got the most 
crops coming off. You've got apple trees. You've got acorns falling. You've got hard mass, soft mass. I mean, bucks know the winter's coming. They know the rut's coming. They know they're going to lose weight. They got to put pounds on, put fat on. They're rubbing. They're scrape. I mean, they're doing all these things in October to get ready for the big show for the Super Bowl. In my mind, the law is is, and this is just my opinion, but that lack of deer sign or oh man, deer aren't moving. It's October. No, deer have just changed what they're doing, and you have not gotten ahead of that curve. You're two steps behind instead of a step forward. I agree. You were, you know, you were hunting a transition zone to a cornfield that is now cut. The deer aren't coming there anymore. So you're not seeing deer. Now they've moved off onto white oaks that are dropping a half a mile away. You're no longer in the game. So instead of going out and figuring out what's going on, a lot of guys have this philosophy of, oh, the October laws hit, the deer aren't moving. You know, this isn't, it's, it's just not happening right now. I'll just wait for November because all the deer are shut down right now. Whenever really, I think there's more deer movement in daylight in the month of October than any month because all these deer know they've got to get feed right now. They got to put calories and fat on right now. Like I said, you've got bucks that are making rubs, making scrapes. I mean, everybody's getting ready for the big show in November. So I, I do not believe in, Oh, it's an October law. Oh, you know, and it's, not to jump down another rabbit hole, but it's the same thing with early season. I hear guys say all the time, it's too hot. Oh, it's 75 degrees. There's no bucks going to move. And I'm like, no, wait a minute. I watched deer in 95 degree heat all June, all July, and all August feed in soybean fields in food plots and got pictures of them transitioning to, from water to feed and vice versa. But you're telling me because deer season opens and it's 75, they're not going to, I mean, <laughs> like I said, there again, all, I mean, and, and this is just me talking, you know, this is just my philosophy, but that is all bullshit as far as just, dude, just, just say you want to watch college football and drink beer. Yeah. Like just, that's fine. It's, I totally get it. But I, it always cracks me up when guys are like, Oh, it's too hot. I'm not going to hunt that opening week. And I'm like, it's 75 degrees. Ah, it's, it's too hot. That's, that's too hot. I'm like, <laughs> but we filmed, we filmed bucks all year in July in the broad daylight. It was 90 and humid out. Yeah, but that's July. It's yeah, different with shorts and, and a like, bro tank on. It's because right, it was so hot. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right. But yeah, so to uh, jump back into, I'm gonna, into I'm, the I'm in agreement with you too. I mean, the, yeah. the October lull to me is, you know, I think there was a point in time a while ago years ago that I was like, you know, thought a little bit of it, but to, to your point too, I, I agree. Like the, the excuses I've used them before, like, oh shit, it's, it's raining a little too hard, you know, probably better not, yep. you know, and really I've killed my best bucks in Michigan in the rain or yep. just after a rain, yep. you know, it's been great, but yep. it's, you know, yeah, just, just say, I, w- I want to drink some lattes and watch, watch the lions get their ass kicked. <laughs> oh no, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And for, People in Ohio, they've got a great excuse. Hey, I want to watch the Browns get the shit kicked out of them every Sunday, and I just don't want to hunt. I mean, it's fine. I get it. Like, I, I totally get it, you know. But, but yeah, I mean, I think the deer movement in October is as strong as it gets during – more strong than any month. I mean, I've had some of my best, absolute best days of bow hunting, hands down, in the month of October as far as deer movement once you figure out – 
where the hot food source is or you figure out, you know, where the hot sign is. I mean, you know, whether it's scrape lines or you find a funnel from bed to feed and, and it's tore up with rubs. It's like, you know, you get in there and hunt some of that hot sign in October. And I mean, you can have some of the best hunting of your life if you're in the right spot, but the guys that aren't following the deer and keeping up with the deer are the guys that are a step behind and they're not going to see any deer Yeah. because in October from what I've learned, whether it's Ohio, Illinois, Kentucky, doesn't matter. You got to be where the deer are. And if you're not where the deer are and you think that you are where deer want to be, um, you're two steps behind. I mean, you know, you, you can't really play the guessing game in October. Like you, you need to be where, you know, deer are and not be playing the, well, I think deer should be here. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, there's a very fine line there because a lot of those food sources, they don't last long you know, um, crab apples start dropping. Yep. That might happen for three or four days. Once they're gone, that's it. It's on to the next. Then acorns start falling. Then the farmer cuts a bean field. That's going to be hot for a few days. They're going to be out there picking up what, what's left behind from the combine. Um, vice versa, you know, I mean, guys are putting winter wheat in the ground. Um, you know, you've got briars and green briars and everything dying off so that feed goes away but like i said you've got hard you know you've got your oaks dropping so in the big woods that's like a candy store with a hey i'm open sign you know type of deal so so would you say let me i'm gonna stop you real quick so would you say in october you need to be more aggressive than any time any other time in my opinion if you want to score in october you need to be as mobile and as aggressive with educated planning behind it than any other time of the year. I, I am probably more aggressive in October than I am in the rut just because I know that if I don't put some legwork and some scouting work and the homework into my game plans in October, I will fall flat on my face. And that's kind of what happened with inline was I had these predetermined okay, there should be deer here, you know, this buck should be doing this, deer should be doing that, and I was really a step behind that buck the entire month. No matter what I did, I wasn't seeing him in daylight, I wasn't getting daylight pictures, I knew he was living there because I would have pictures, you know, literally within an hour after dark, but that deer was just running a super tight pattern, and I just could not 100% pinpoint what that buck was doing as far as where he was living, yep. I knew roundabout, but didn't know for sure. So I was on the line of, I had gotten about as aggressive as I could get without blowing him out. It's getting closer and closer to November. So now I'm starting to hunt some funnels and some pinch points. And I'm, I'm kind of playing to his weakness as far as, okay, I know he's going to start doing some traveling. I know he's going to start doing some moving around. Um, and the closer I got, to November, the more and more movement around that farm that I was seeing from that buck. Now, I still was not getting daylight photos, but what I was getting was I was getting a lot more photos on different spots on that farm. And what that clued me in on was, okay, this buck's starting to leave that core area. He's starting to travel. Yep. He's starting to get kind of frisky and he's starting to travel as far as going from doe bedding area to doe bedding area and starting to kind of look and see okay 
who's going to be coming in first, what's going to be going on. So I knew in my head, end of October, first week of November, absolutely needed to capitalize. Um, I had from October 31st to November 20th off from work and was pretty much going to live on that farm either until I killed him, he got killed, or I just absolutely had to change things up before I jumped out of my stand without my my, my, my harness attached to the tree. <laughs> One of those three. <laughs> so, so as as you're getting more pictures around the farm, though, to that latter part of October, you're probably thinking, like, it's only a matter of time before he shows his face in daylight, and you just got to be in one of those spots, obviously, to capitalize on that. Is, I mean, is that a little correct? Yeah, basically, what what I what I started doing was I started really keying in on some of these different areas, and I started really looking at these areas and dissecting. Okay, why is this buck here? Because a couple of these areas was actually really close to some of the neighboring farms that get a lot of pressure, and. I thought, you know, okay, so, you know, this, this buck is actually working towards some of these high pressured areas. Now what's, you know, what, what it was in my head, I'm like, man, this doesn't make a ton of sense. But what was actually happening was there was a lot of does that were staying on some of these neighboring sections. And that buck was starting to venture out to check these other doe groups you know, he had been staying on that farm and running a, a really strict, tight program. And I think he kind of knew when the does that were living on the same piece of ground as him were going to be coming in. But he wanted to make sure he wasn't going to miss anything that was kind of off in the distance, per se. So I started catching him morning and evenings, close to daylight, going to and from, traveling to and from some of these areas that were on the outskirts of this farm. And it's, I started to kind of piece it together and I started kind of thinking back on, okay, I know there's lots of does that bed, you know, over on this other property and, and kind of, you know, there was some saddles leading from one piece to the other. And I mean, I was getting pictures of him running those saddles a lot and hitting scrapes that were close by and different things. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, this buck is really trying to hone in on that first group of does that's going to come in and for whatever reason it seemed like he was really interested in some of these outskirt doe groups that were actually living on the neighbors or heading towards the neighboring property lines but you know the closer it got the more and more he actually was starting to show himself and then finally on november 1st i got a daylight photo of that buck um, it was in the morning and he was coming back from a neighboring farm coming through this saddle and I thought, all right, I thought, you know, he's, he's really dropped his guard. It was on an east wind. I'm like, all right, you know, I need to get a few spots prepared that are going to really capitalize in some of these pinch points going to and from, you know, these doe bedding areas. And lo and behold, ended up killing him on November 7th, the day after my birthday. On this, my birthday's on the 6th. I turned 30. Turned 30 on the 6th, and my 30th birthday present was the next day. I killed that buck at, uh, <laughs> like, 5, 5.15. But what was crazy about that deer was, like I said, how much I learned about big deer in October. I mean, that buck absolutely would not show himself in daylight. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't moving, because I know he was moving in daylight, but he was not traveling very far. He was not moving hardly at all from his bedding area um in october he was running a absolutely very very strict pattern of i'm gonna get up i'm gonna mill around 
I'm going to maybe start to head towards my destination, but that's it. And I would get photos of that buck, you know, 20, 30 minutes to an hour after it was past shooting light. So, you know, which it could take a buck 30 minutes to travel a hundred yards in the month of October. I mean, you know, I know he's making scrapes. I know he was hitting rub lines. I mean, I, I know he was doing all that stuff, but he was just not traveling very far. But what was funny was as October started to, to come and go and the closer you got to November, that range opened up. I started getting him on cameras that I hadn't had him on since summertime. I started seeing him more frequent, a lot more traveling, and you could just see his core area was starting to open up as far as the amount of roaming and the amount of country he was traveling was getting bigger and bigger each week. So that really taught me something as far as in October, you know, if you can't figure a buck out in October, but you know he's there, it's like, you know, you, you don't want to panic and go into like, oh my gosh, freak out mode, you know, I've, I've, I've got to, I've got to shoot for the fences and really do something stupid and just try to go for it because it's like, you know, that buck, he was almost unkillable on that farm in October. I mean, I really truly don't think I could have went any deeper without blowing him out. I don't think I could have went any closer to that, to where I'm pretty sure he was betting without blowing him out. And I really had to play the game and pretty much stay persistent and, and, continued to mark the wind, continued to mark, you know, what he really liked to use in his favor as far as the wind patterns and the wind, and then start to piece that together. And like I said, the closer and closer and closer we got to the rut, the more and more that buck was moving. And that deer, you know, he just really taught me how strict of a pattern they can have in October to where it seems almost like they're unkillable, but, but once that switch flips, they start to really move and they start to really travel looking for those does. And it's like, if they're running a super tight pattern that you can't get on in October without possibly bumping him, kind of like where I was at with this buck, you still got to be out there and you've still got to keep hunting and especially keep scouting and keep monitoring what that buck's doing. Because sooner or later he is going to break off that pattern and he is going to start to venture out. And I mean, Realistically, that's what got this buck killed was he was heading from where he was betting, had the wind in his face, straight east wind, had wind in his face. He was heading up over that saddle. He was going to head towards the neighbors to head in to drop down on the other side of this saddle. He was going to drop down into this big bowl where there's probably, oh, I would say on any given day, 15 to 20 does down in there in yearlings. Um, he was heading right for that. And, and he was going to go in there and check those does hundred percent. And I just, you know, killed him because I knew that buck from trail cam photos. I knew he was traveling that direction. I knew that wind was perfect for him. And he was just going to use that saddle to, you know, to hop over from, you know, one property to the next. I was probably a couple hundred yards from the property line and I was on the leeway side of that saddle. And he was, like I said, he was just starting to head up the saddle He'd have dropped down in and he would have been in where all those does and fawns were. And, you know, it was just right place, right time. But I would have never have known that spot was going to produce, like I said, without kind of learning his habits and without kind of figuring out what he was doing in October and kind of what that pattern was. And even though that pattern was almost unkillable, it still led me to get him killed. And that's why I've said, you know, that buck just taught me so much about big deer, you know, big deer that seem unkillable in October, or they just seem like, 
they just don't move in daylight. They're moving in daylight. It's just, it's a very strict pattern. It's a very small little area. Yep. Yep. But that, that area is slowly going to grow. And once you can kind of get yourself on the outskirts of that, now you're back in the game. And I killed him on the outskirts of what he would have been kind of calling his core area. I just figured out, you know, what wins were were right for that buck and kind of where he was wanting to go and intercepted him. But I mean, hunting him and following him in October led me to be able to capitalize early November on what that buck was doing, 100%. Okay, so to kind of go back a little bit, you were talking, you know, we had we had talked about how you said, you know, you got to be mobile in October. And yep. so how were you attacking that October to hunt him? Were you mobile every set or was it like, you know, and were you getting in tight? Like how tight were you getting into what you thought it was his bedding? So I always start from the outside in, and I was working the fringes um, of, of spots where I knew he was feeding. I started there, and I started just kind of working my way in. And, I mean, there's some really good pinch points and some, some funnels and stuff that were back in the timber that I was trying to capitalize on catching him moving from bed to feed. Um, was seeing, you know, decent amount of deer, but I was not successful in actually seeing him. So... The cameras were still showing me that he was there. You know, the cameras were still showing me that he was moving right after dark. Um, it was just a matter of I just felt like I wasn't deep enough. So I, I kept, you know, be, between using a mobile um, lock-on and stick setup, and sometimes I'd use my climber. I was basically just going in a little deeper, in a little deeper, in a little deeper. Finally, I got to the point to where it was make or break. I was either going to kill him there or that was it. I wasn't going to go any deeper because I really thought if I went any deeper, I was really going to risk blowing him out. And I didn't want to blow that deer completely out. Um, number one, I didn't know 100% where he was betting. If I would have known 100% where that deer was betting, I honestly, I'm a firm believer of going in and if you bump a buck from his bed, he's going to be back. It wouldn't have bothered me. I mean, if I would have bumped that buck, but I knew he was in there hundred percent, I would have been like, okay, that's fine. Like, honestly, like I, a lot of guys, they, they, they freak out about, Oh, Hey, I blew this buck out. How long till he comes back? I'm like, I'd be right back in there tomorrow hunting him. And they're like, what? Like, I mean, they look at me like I'm an alien and I'm like, yeah, that, that spot did its job. I mean, a mature buck or a mature doe beds in a spot to keep him or her alive. So if she smells you, he busts you, he sees you, that spot did exactly what it's supposed to do. So, I mean, there is no reason for that buck to not come back to that spot because that spot is keeping him alive. And I think a lot of people look at that totally ass backwards. You know, they look at it like, yeah, but you blew him out. He's never going to come back because he's afraid you're there. No, 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 no. There's coyotes, there's dogs. Like, we are not the only thing that those animals are seeing. I mean, they see right. coyotes and dogs and, and bears and, and some spots you got mountain lions and wolves. I mean, th those deer are bedding in spots where they cannot be killed by anything. And those are the spots they want to stay in all the time because nothing can sneak up on them. Nothing can get by them without being winded. They hear you, they smell you, they see you, whatever. My problem was I didn't know 100% where that deer was actually bedding. I could not figure out for sure safely 
where I thought he was bending. And I was bouncing around trying to figure that out. And I got to the point to where I was like, all right, I, I don't 100% know what's going on. I'm starting to get close to the rut now. Now, instead of hunting him in his bed, I'm going to start hunting the fringes of where I think he's bedding and try to catch him leaving that area heading out to go look for does or in the mornings coming back to his area because I, I realistically didn't know and couldn't figure out a hundred percent where that deer was bedding. I had a couple ideas, but I had been striking out on trying to visually see that and confirm that with my own eyes. And the cameras only tell you so much. Right. So that was, that was kind of the, I was kind of caught between a rock and a hard place on, I thought he was one place, but I didn't know for sure. And I was trying to, you know, play the game and figure that all out. And that took me almost the whole month of October. Well, then I got to the point to where it's like, okay, now at this point, he's going to start, he's starting to roam. I'm seeing him on camera more. Now I need to actually forget that and start focusing on where I think he's going to be going and try to kill him in funnels and in spots like that. I thought my chances of success were higher to then transition into another style of hunting. But in October, I was really wanting to kill him either in his bed or just leaving his bed or just coming into his bed on morning hunts. Um, but that was, you know, that was kind of my philosophy. I, I really would have gotten super aggressive had I have known for sure, okay, I watched him get out of this thicket. I watched him come out of this thicket. Um, I watched him go into this thicket, like that type of thing. Okay, I know he's staying here. I would have gotten super tight within 100 yards and, and got in really early and tried to kill that buck for sure on an evening sit coming out of that bed but like i said i never had the luxury of actually learning and visually seeing that so i was playing uh i guess you could say russian roulette um but a very educated game of it trying to you know not shoot myself in the foot but yet get him killed all at the same time right yeah and that makes total sense now when you're you said you're working from the outside in you know when you're trying to get deeper and deeper are when you're when you're getting mobile, are you are you like only moving a hundred yards at a time, or are you moving two hundred yards at a time? I I know it can be very situation dependent, but like in this situation, I mean, how calculated were your moves, and how far were you technically moving in? Yeah, no, great great question. So what I was doing is, if I would be in my stand and I could, if I was on one ridge, and I could look over and see the next ridge. As I was hunting, I was really, really picking that ridge apart, making sure that in between, let's say it's 150 yards, I was really trying to focus on, okay, if I move from here to there, what is that going to unlock for me once I'm up a tree? And basically, when I would make a move is I was trying to be able to gain another big chunk. I wanted to be able to see another 150 to 200 yards that I wasn't seeing previously, but I wanted to make those moves to where I felt like the terrain was in my favor and I was still staying hidden and basically staying closed off from line of sight from where I thought that buck potentially was bedding. So I was really, really working side hills using creek bottoms to my advantage you know i mean i i really try to use topography to actually hide and cover my entry and exit as best as possible so for me it's very situational on topography i mean if you're hunting a relatively super flat piece 
it's really going to be hard to do a ton of moving in because it's literally kind of one of those deals where, you know, you're actually almost in a way you've got to tiptoe in there without being seen. And it's like the deeper and deeper you go, the more you're opening yourself up for failure. Whereas if you've got, you know, kind of rolling hills or you've got side hills, you've got some bridges, you know, you've got some topography that can hide your presence going in and going out. You can make bigger jumps. And I was able to make kind of more calculated moves, 150 to 200 yards at a time to where I wasn't opening myself up to get seen or to get busted going in. Cause I mean, you know, that's your biggest, that's your biggest enemy is other deer blowing out of there or, even scarier than that is the buck actually walked watching you go in and watching you come into hunting. You know, now you've opened up the door for him realistically kind of knowing what you've got going on. So my biggest thing was try to stay hidden. Um, and like I said, I, I didn't know exactly where it was bedding, but I had a good idea of a relatively, you know, I guess you could say I, I had a, I had a, a relative idea of where I thought, he was pretty educated guess. So I was kind of throwing my eggs in the, well, he could, or he should be here basket, which, you know, there again, you're kind of playing Russian roulette a little bit, but I was pretty certain I wasn't going to get, you know, seen or heard going in. So I kept making those educated jumps based off the topography and letting that kind of hide my entry and exit. I got you. That, that makes total sense. And you know, with the, the flat piece you're talking to, I mean, so many different types of of terrain or oh, yeah. terrain but also cover yep. in flat pieces you know i've got a piece in michigan here that is flat but it's in farm country and it's flatter than a pancake but you can see for days i mean you can see yep. your dog run for two days and stand on a beer can and watch him run for three it's just yep. that's you know but in those pieces I, I found more even if it's an observation sit or even if it's glassing from afar find hopefully seeing that buck do it one time doing something and then move in you know you want to get eyes on him i think you know like you're talking you want to see him at least one time you know find a chink in the armor like why the hell is he doing that and then move in get aggressive pounce um yep and it's funny you talk about the betting there like not knowing like exactly where his betting was um me and two of my buddies found some betting this year that is literally bulletproof betting i mean when you get into this betting area on on our one of our farms here in michigan it's it's up on a ledge i, I should say it's, it's a hill but it kind of ledges out on top and yep. um i mean it is bulletproof but when you get down in the bed and kind of look and and visualize when the foliage is off at this time the foliage was on so uh i mean anything that's in this bed is watching you for 200 yards, you yep. know, they can see you. So it's like, once you get that, you know, that, that was a betting, a new, a new betting area that we found. And we're like, man, cause we got this, we got a, a good buck. He's pretty, as of right now, he's kind of predictable, but we think he's using this betting area. So we're like, you know, what, what do we do here? How do we figure out how to get around him in the morning? And, and I think it's going to be a, probably a more of a morning 
kill and trying to get him, you know, let him be out in the in the or out in the field probably and get him coming back. And I think he's going to be kind of a a late coming back kind of thing. Um, yep. Just from from camera intel. So we'll see. But when you find those bulletproof vet, beddings, I mean, all three of us were sitting there puzzled, like, how the hell are we going to try to pull this off? Like, because entry and exit, like you said, is just. I mean, it's it's got to be top priority, you know, in a lot of in a lot of different aspects. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, when I'm when I'm scouting and shed hunting in the the late uh, winter and early spring, and I find some of these beds, you know, it sounds it sounds almost psychotic, but I mean, I will get in the bed and actually look around, like almost as if like you are the buck. Like, okay, I'm at his level. What is he seeing? And it's, it's amazing how they position themselves on just a little rise or just a little bit of an incline up on, on a hill to where that allows them to unlock another hundred yards. You know what I mean? Like they go from, if they bedded 50 yards further down the trail, they could see, you know, only half of what they can see by, you know, by where they're at. It's like, you know, those big bucks and, and even your mature does, they have a rhyme and a reason for absolutely everything that they do. I mean, every day, the goal for that day and the goal for the next day is to make it to the next day. And it's like, you know, there there is a rhyme or a reason for everything those deer do. And if you can figure out, you know, just the little things, those all add up into, into the big picture as far as getting one of those bucks killed and finding a bed like what you and your buddies found and figuring out what he's seeing, what he's able to see, what he's not able to see, like, where's that flaw? Where's that weakness? That's where you've really got to capitalize in. And I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I love early season. I love late season because it's predictable and patterns kill big deer. And during those times you can figure out patterns and get big deer killed. I mean, I like the rut as much as the next guy, but it's a crab shoot. I mean, it's, it's right place, right time. They could be here, there, everywhere, two miles down the road, an hour from now. I mean, you just really don't know. Um, it's fun to hunt that, but my bread and butter's patterns, and I love early and late season because of that. Um, you know, I, I live and die by, by playing the chess game and trying to figure patterns out, and that's, that's, that's really kind of my bread and butter um, when it comes to, to hunting big whitetails is, is the, you know, the pattern game. So I absolutely love that, that aspect of hunting whitetails. And all, that's awesome, man. It gets me fired up. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah, <heck> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, we are coming up a little over an hour right now and I did have some more bullet points, but honestly, man, I, that right there is, is what I want to accomplish for this podcast. And I appreciate you doing it. I, I think I'm going to cut you loose right there, but when you, when you get in off the mountain or back in from the timber, we got to do another one because I got some more questions we need to dive into on a, on a different one. I, I just don't want to, to muddy the waters with all the information you just had with some other stuff that's kind of not the same. So I, I, I think we nailed everything on the head. What I wanted to do tonight for sure, man. Absolutely, my man. I leave. I leave Thursday for uh, eight days to go chase Utah bulls around solo, and then uh, I come back. And my bow season here in Ohio opens literally the next day. So yeah, I'm gonna transition from bugling bulls to uh, early season whitetails here <laughs> real quick. So yeah, man. I'll be, I'll be fired up, um, ready to rock and roll uh, as soon as I get back. We'll uh, we'll fire up another another episode. Definitely, 
definitely dive into some more of those bullet points, man. Looking forward to it. For sure, buddy. I appreciate you doing this again. And before we do sign off here, let everybody know where they can see what the hell you're doing, you know, on, on Instagram, Facebook, or Peterson's Bow Hunting, anything. Let everybody know where to find all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Facebook, just, you know, first name, last name, Clint Casper. Um, Instagram, Casper Clint, all one word put together. Um, on Thursdays, I take over. Usually every Thursday, I take over Peterson's bow hunting Instagram page as far as a post, kind of kind of a, a, a weekly update on what I got going on. Um, I try to do a lot of stories and stuff throughout the season. Um, I should have a lot of service on this elk hunt. So I'm going to try to do kind of an update every day and a story as far as, you know, just walk guys through my day, what I'm doing. Uh, just, yeah, man, just kind of showcase the grind um, as far as, you know, what an, an eight-day solo elk hunt's kind of like in the day uh, in the day in the life of me. So, yeah, I mean, I try to have fun with it all. You know, I mean, I don't I don't take the social stuff too serious. Um, just try to have a good time with it and, and, and try to, you know, just, just have fun with it. But yeah. Um, Writing wise, I got some really good stuff for uh, Go Hunt coming up. If you're not a member of that, I would say definitely subscribe to that, um, especially for the Western stuff. Man, that's a that's a game changer for sure. Um, Peterson's bow hunting. I got a few more articles coming out here in the next upcoming months. Then that finishes the year out for them. And then yeah, podcast world, man. I'm I'm always doing stuff with the guy with you know your buddies and my good friends over working class bow hunter and and definitely um, you know. Um, my good buddy Bo Martonic over at East Meets West. I got a podcast coming up with him soon, and uh, my buddy Brian Barney at uh, Eastman's Elevated. I got a couple good ones coming with him down the pipe. So that's kind of that kind of wraps up the rest of the year for me as far as kind of where I'll be and what I got going on. And uh, yeah, man, now it's just time to go uh, go stick some arrows in a couple <laughs> a couple big animals, and then uh, we'll be right on track. I love it, man. Well, again, I appreciate it. Uh, good luck on Utah. Be safe out there, and good luck this fall, man. Absolutely, my man. You too. Thanks for having me on, dude. Can't uh, can't wait to uh, fire up another one, and, and then uh, at that point, hopefully, uh, hopefully we've both got to bend the limbs back, and we both can <laughs> maybe share a few a few success stories or, or some close calls, or I'm sure we'll definitely have something fun to talk about. So yeah, man, looking forward to it. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you, Clint. All right, there it is. Another great episode. Thank you to Clint for coming on and talking about all this high-level hunting stuff that we love oh so much. I appreciate you guys' support like every week. Uh, I'm going to tell you, remind you, please go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, leave a review if you like the podcast, I guess. If you don't, then just forget about it. Just forget it ever happened. But if you do like it, maybe tell somebody that you know that likes hunting also that's never heard the fall podcast tell them hey go listen to the fall podcast that'd be great i'd appreciate that so thank you guys very much we're one week closer to opening day if your opening day is on october 1st so that's great um get out there like i said be ethical be safe and shoot straight